Welcome to the Awakening Shalom Podcast. The Awakening Shalom Podcast is an opportunity for digital faith formation at Myers Park Baptist Church that accompanies the Awakening Series, a year-long journey of exploration and discernment which invites all people to come learn about the current social justice issues of the day and how they impact our faith. What we are awakening to is Shalom, the Hebrew word for the peace and beauty that exists when we are living in right relationship with God, ourselves, other human beings, and all created things. Welcome back to our Awakening Shalom podcast. My name is Mia McLean, and we are so excited to have a special guest with us today. Um, just a little bit about the podcast to refresh your, uh, your memory about this series. We are in a series called Upamane which is a word that is often used in the New Testament to refer to perseverance or patient endurance. And we see it a lot in the book of Revelation as the author, John of Patmos, is calling for the persecuted followers of Christ to have patient endurance in the midst of their oppressive season. And so this is what we're talking about today. And of course, in the original format, we were really strictly dealing with how people were persevering amidst the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. But as our world has changed so rapidly, we will also be getting into other issues, especially as it relates to this ongoing fight for racial justice in this country. I am so happy to have this guest with us today. Many of you have probably seen her in our worship services. She has a phenomenal voice. Um, and I, ever since you sang Oh Holy Night at the Christmas service, I just tell everybody about it. I said, I was serving communion and you hit the high note, uh, oh, you know, you know, the high note, no Holy Night. And I was like, I forgot what I was saying. I, I was breaking off bread for somebody and I was like, I don't know what, 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 what where am I? <laughs> this is the talented Bethany Weary. Bethany, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Yes, yes. Tell us, tell the people a little bit about yourself beyond the fact that you're an amazing singer that sings with us. Um, tell us about your connection to Myers Park and Baptist Church and some of the other things you have uh, going on in Charlotte. Well, um, I, <laughs> I am a church baby. My, my dad has been a pastor my entire life. And I actually got hooked up with Myers Park Baptist because my dad, who is my pastor and your pastor, have been working together in the area of social justice for years um, and one day pastor Ben was like I need a singer for something and my dad was like let me let me introduce you to my daughter <laughs> you know <laughs> and 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 my personal relationship with Myers Park started there and I really I've been enjoying it so much um, I, I love your faith community you're so welcoming and, and such a warm place and your pastor is amazingly brilliant mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's really been fun. Um, I am an educator, so I teach elementary music. Thank you, Lord. School year yes. is done. 2020 <laughs> was a year for the books. <laughs> 2020 was a year for the books. You got um, we'll get into that a little bit later about what that was like, but yes. That'll be an interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, but I'm an elementary music educator. I have a degree in voice performance from the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music. Um, and I've done all kinds of things on my journey to becoming an educator, but I'm glad that I landed where I landed. Good, good. Well, we're happy to have you. And I said this in one of our earlier episodes, I think it was our first episode, we had singer Don Anthony on. 
who is a jazz vocalist in Charlotte. And we really wanted to hear from people who work in the area of art. So not just, not just theology and philosophy kind of separate, but how people bring all of that together as they persevere in this season um, to have a, a very holistic approach. Um, I'm excited about this and diving into the conversation. So let's talk about how you persevere through the school year first, because we have some educators in our congregation, some people who are listening, who, and we have some parents who are like pulling their hair out. Like still, they're like, I'm so tired of homeschooling my kids. I'm so tired of my kids being on Zoom. What was that like making the transition? Um, at first, it was very frustrating and very daunting because no one really knew how to proceed. I mean, there are, there are tools that our school system in Charlotte had in place for certain kinds of online learning, but it was used as integration into what you do in the classroom. So to, to shift from in-person learning to entirely remote learning was like, we were all kind of like, okay, what do we do now? How do we do this? How much of this are we doing? How long are we going to do this? Like teachers... We, we plan long-term all the time. So if it is currently March, I'm already planning for June, right? Everything up until June has already been decided. So all of us were kind of like, okay, we have to redo everything. Okay, wait. And we have like two weeks to do it. So, okay, great. You know, it, it was um, quite, quite a lot. And it, I, I've never had so many Zoom meetings in all my life inside of that two week period. I, I can't even, meetings and emails and text message strings and conversations after conversations. And, you know, I really, I have always been proud to be a teacher, uh -huh. but this particular period in education made me exceedingly proud of my profession. Because uh -huh. teachers became, our creativity became highly visible. We're always creative like that. The name of the game is innovation. That's what teaching is, right? But faced with having to completely restructure education in a matter of weeks for an entire population was not done by the administrators of an education system. It was done by the teachers. Mm -hmm. And so now more than ever, I am extremely proud to be an educator because, man, we got very creative. Um, but one of, one of the things, like I was talking to my teammates about this, all the special area teachers of what they call them in elementary school, right? Your art teachers, PE teachers, yeah, yeah. music dance, right? So my team, we, we sat down in, within the first week and we really started, we had to think of our philosophy first, right? So there's always a, like a philosophy of teaching and then the logistics of that and then you put the pedagogy on top of it and you execute, right? So we had to sit down and decide what our philosophy would be in our schools and the great thing was you know, every school was able to kind of make their own decisions about what would work best for their population based on the demographics that they had. Based on our population, we knew that remote learning with lots of digital integration would be possible. So my team really started thinking about what that would mean classroom style. We, know, we knew that classroom teachers were gonna Zoom a lot, classroom teachers were gonna use a lot of online classroom platforms, and the kids were gonna be inundated with all this stuff that they hadn't had to use before. That's an oversaturation of technology. So our philosophy became what would be best for their social and emotional well-being. Instead of us adding to what they needed to do digitally, 
another Zoom meeting, another class, another online platform that they had to use and, and you know, interact with on a daily or weekly basis, which was already going to stress them out, you know, with the classroom stuff that they had to do, all of their general education classes. So what we chose to do was a choice-based, self-paced option. So we gave the children options for the entire month and allowed them to make a decision for what was best for them social and emotionally. So if, you know, normally we meet on a Monday, but your Monday is slammed and packed with science and math and you are super stressed out by the end of it, right? Your mama is done. You are done. Everybody done, right? We didn't want to say, well, I normally see you on Monday. So now you have to log into my Zoom and also tackle my content. No, no, no. We offered them this choice board for the month. You complete it when you're able to complete it. We still want you to interact with our content. We still want you to know that we care about you, but you get to do it when it works for your mind and your heart. Um, and that really seemed to work for our population. Good. I was always wondering about, about how teachers were in the various classrooms, right? Um, and I know a lot of colleges, uh, my seminary, they actually, for fall, they're not going to meet in person, but they have this new option where you can like basically sort of self-select, do you want to do a live class or do you want to do one of those like video classes where people can go at their own pace whenever they want because people were just feeling very overwhelmed with having to go from this class to next class. And what used to be fine in a, in a class building, the bell rings, you go to your next, I mean, at least in middle school and high school, it's your next thing. That doesn't really work as well in Zoom. And so people are having to be creative about what it's going to look like in the fall. Because we don't know, I mean, I don't know what CMS is doing. Do you work with CMS or in private? I do. I do. <laughs> I'm sure you're, you're also wondering what CMS is going to eventually decide. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we are patiently waiting with bated breath. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, God bless you in that. I, I have the most admiration for school teachers, and I know a lot of parents now have a new admiration. <laughs> you know, we got a lot of those comments. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in addition to your, your life as an educator, how has your art work shown up in this time separate from that? So I know you have your own your own goals outside of the classroom, your own artistic practice. How has that shown up for you in this season? Has it been helpful spiritually? Has it been helpful emotionally? Tell us a little bit about some of the other things that you do. Hmm. So music has always been my safe haven, my place of expression and spiritual connection and like emotional release, like all of that. Music is my, my place of release, right? So it's definitely been a crucial part of how I've been dealing with all of this because for the first month, super stressed, not sleeping a lot. It was a lot <laughs> um, to have my job and recreating it entirely on top of, you know, this pandemic on top of I live by myself. So, you know, to be in that seclusion, right, with the stress of can I eventually see my family because my family is extremely close-knit so you know and then the the risk factors for seeing like my grandmother who's 90 and a cancer survivor like do I will I be putting her at risk and it was just there were so many layers and so you know I did do certain things like I I started learning music I started um looking at music that I hadn't performed since college just to make my brain shift you know, to a peaceful place. And I definitely used like a lot of, I would um, 
sing a lot of gospel just because, you know, it helped me to feel connected to God and recenter myself. Um, and, and my church has definitely helped with that as well. Just having access to music and variety that allows me to access different parts of my spiritual walks so that I can, you know, recalibrate a little bit <laughs> with everything that's happening. Um, and keep myself balanced. Mm. Absolutely. I love what you said about uh, singing gospel. I, I, I live by myself too. And I, I find myself um, humming a lot of hymns, like through this whole process, I'll wake up and a hymn is on my spirit. I'm like, okay. And you know, we're working from home and I have this time and sometimes I know all the verses, but I find myself like opening my hymnal, like the old hymn. Mm-hmm. I have a couple, obviously, but I have this, the, uh, the, I don't know if you know, the, the red one that's like the, na- the National Baptist. Yes, with the ridges in it. Yes, that's the yeah. jam. Yes, <laughs> I have found myself opening that and just kind of like reacquainting myself with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, just when you, I, I have time now, but when you actually are doing this every Sunday, and I know you work in ministry and we'll get a little bit yes. To that when you're doing this every Sunday, it's just you're kind of on this like go, 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 and you don't always have time to just kind of sit in the solitude and, and be with a hymn, you know, right. outside right. Sunday morning. So, um, for the people who don't know, I don't know if you mentioned your church, but Bethany is a part of Mayfield Memorial Baptist Church, our partner, one of our many partners, but definitely a close partner. And, um, I still have not been able to go on a Sunday. It was my intention. And then COVID happened. <laughs> so I was like, I got to go one Sunday when I'm not, you know, doing something at my, my place of employment. But um, tell us about what your community has been experiencing during this time. Um, and so particularly, I want us to focus on social location, right? As black and brown people, what has perseverance looked like that may be different from others, especially with regard to faith? Oh man. Well, um, our, our church community has definitely been tested through this. Our faith as individuals, our faith as a community, our ability to come together as a community of faith with powerful prayer and perseverance has been extremely hard. We've had multiple uh, members of our church family who have had COVID-19 and not just, I'm a little sick, like on a ventilator, the door of death and all we did was pray. I mean, we have, um, our church is really wonderful in that we started transitioning to digital models for communication prior to COVID-19. So once we shifted, our leadership was able to continue working and and communicating, and that was great. Um, And maybe three or four weeks in, our members started falling because we're in a community that is heavily affected by this virus, period. We just are. Um, And so we've had so many of our members who have either had COVID and been asymptomatic or had COVID and been in one of those high risk factor areas. And so it became much more difficult. Um, And then we've had several members who were hospitalized, ICU, ventilator, no one could go visit them. Um, And one of the things that I loved about our community's response, our faith community's response was, we went directly into prayer mode. Like in each of those digital platforms where we're like chatting all the time, sharing information. If we heard that a member had COVID, we were like, okay. And the prayer messages were amazingly powerful and incredibly consistent. And I feel like 
that coupled with the strength of our community prior to this has made me feel even more connected not only to my church family but to God because I watch all these people that I'm surrounded by in our church family who are passionate and powerful in their connection to God and like are we have yet to lose catch this now catch the blessing of God in all of this we have yet to lose one church member to COVID. We've had multiple in the hospital, multiple on ventilators, and right now they're home with their families. They're hiking again. They're, I mean, don't, don't get me started on the cry, okay? But um, it's been miraculous, to say the least. Wow, that is, that's beautiful, and I'm so grateful that you all have been able to um, not endure that kind of loss in this season. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there have been many other losses, just the nature of this thing and people losing jobs. And um, I mean, the grief can go on. People losing monumental moments. I mean, we have so many you know, students here who are just very upset they didn't have a graduation. And that's such a, such a huge deal. And, and I, would, I would even go further to say, I mean, at least in my community back home in New Orleans, you know, for, for Black children who may be first generation about to go to college, it's a huge loss for their families to not have a high school graduation. A lot of times, I mean, even I sit in a position of privilege because it was sort of always understood that I was going to college and graduating. But in certain communities, a, a high school graduation is it, right? That's, that's right. what we're doing. And the family is going to turn up like it's college and that's it. Yeah, right. so I'm sure y'all experienced some of that loss as well. We did. Yeah, we definitely did. Yeah. And we had we had multiple graduates in our congregation and they were very sad about it. But we, you know, like like everybody else, we found creative ways to celebrate their victory. You know, we've been our church has been um, very flexible in the way that we adjusted to virtual worship. So we have a whole ministry that's just dedicated to scholarship and education. And what they chose to do was one of those, uh, like a don't rush kind of challenge, but you know, with Jesus. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and our college and uh, high school graduates got a chance to put on their cap and gown and show us, you know, their, like be proud of their accomplishment. And we featured it in one of our worship, worship services and it, it meant a lot to them. Um, and uh, we have Congresswoman Alma Adams is part of our, our congregation. So she did a graduation address for them during morning worship, which was also cool, you know, but it did. I feel like it, it hit them pretty hard because to, to, to reach any milestone like that is, is huge. To make it through all of the weeding out, because we all know <laughs> every degree has classes that are meant to just make you want to quit. Mm-hmm. So, so to reach any of those milestones is huge. So I'm sure, you know, everyone felt some sort of loss Yeah, how to deal with it. Yeah, I have a guest here for those who. <laughs> so cute. Um, so, uh, in, in speaking of the loss and sort of the complications of this season, I, you know, like I said at the beginning, when we first dreamed this up, we were very clear about persevering in the pandemic, and then this new round of protest came up after. Uh, the murders of some key individuals that have been mentioned, but there are others. So Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, uh, George Floyd. Um, and so now we're in this kind of uh, simultaneous pandemic. I mean, we've been in the pandemic of racism for a while. But now 
in this protest season amidst a pandemic, which is very jarring. And, and there's also been a lot happening in the city of Charlotte. And I'm wondering if you've had any time to reflect on this as a person, as an artist, as an educator. What has that reflection, what does that processing look like for you? I'll be brutally honest. Um, at the beginning of, of the protesting and the, the awakening, I will say, of our nation, I was awash with emotion. Like, that first night of just this organic kind of protesting, I was watching and I not only watched what the protesting looked like, but I watched the response of the leaders of our nation. Um, and I was, it was this roller coaster of emotions. I went from confused, how were you not seeing this before, to frustrated because I personally have. I, I am a descendant of people who were a part of the civil rights movements and the movement in the 60s. My, my grandmother was like one of the first people who was working in, in the polls once everything got shifted. My mother was, was one of the first wave of children who integrated public schools in the 60s. You know, it's, it's a lot to process to be directly related to someone who already had to fight this fight right? And we supposedly won this fight, and now we are back in a place where we're acknowledging that the fight stopped short, right? And we're not done. And so to, to think about that, to think about the stories that my mother has told of the sacrifices she made and the struggles that happened and the stressors that were happening, and then in turn, because of those struggles, the battles that my grandmother had to face in order to rectify them. And to think, okay, we're still in a place where those conversations are happening, those conflicts still exist. And, and then to see that the divide shifted and got larger. That's crazy to me, right? So it's it's like, it was infuriating and frustrating, and then it made me fearful because I was like, I don't want to do this. Just being completely honest, I don't want to have this fight. I don't think they wanted to have that fight. I just want people to live in peace and love each other. I don't understand. You know, it was just a wash of emotions. And then after having a talk with my whole family, one of those, like the third night of the protesting, I think, uh, we all sat down together. I, I've ended up at my parents' home, by the way, so I'm no longer by myself, which is nice. Um, but, but the four of us sat down, my parents, my grandmother, and I, and just kind of debriefed about what was going on. And after listening to their perspective and hearing my grandmother say things like, go babies, I wish I, wish I could be out there with you. Keep fighting, keep marching, that's great. You know, and to hear my parents' perspective about everything that's going on, I finally settled into a place of um, calm, resolute desire for action on my part, right? Like I can be all of those things. I can be frustrated and fearful and, you know, angry about the injustices that exist and that's fine. I can live in that emotional state, but it means nothing if my feet aren't moving. It means nothing if my life actions have no direct impact, no matter how big or small, on what happens next. And so I've, I've kind of calmed down a bit, which is good. <laughs> but, uh, but now I'm in a place where I really, my desire is to align myself with activities that will affect long-lasting change. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's important. And I, I have been reflecting on that as well, uh, long lasting change. And especially because this is all happening and we are still in the pandemic and mm -hmm. protesting, do I, like, how do we do, not that I'm judging anybody who is because people do what they got to do. Um, but it's, it's just a really odd time, but I also think it's forcing us to think deeply about the other ways that we need to be a part of the movement because protesting can't be for everybody. Even if you want to do it, you can't, if you have a, if you are immunocompromised, you shouldn't be out there. You know? right. Um, so it's, it's been very interesting seeing the different ways that people have been responding now. I'm going to go here because I've been talking about it on Facebook for a while, but what have your thoughts been about some of the artistic responses to this, um, this season of protest? Um, and of course, I'm referring to the Black Lives Matter painting in Charlotte and across in, in other cities. I'm curious about other people's responses or other people's reflections on that and, and some of the underlying issues that uh, I find problematic, which have been. Um, the fact that I, I think that uh, we have a long history of uh, the black and brown people in this country have a long history of being pacified um, by government officials in, uh, of all spectrum, Democrat, Republican, whatever the spectrum is. We have a long history of that. So I guess that's where a lot of my concern is coming. But also I'm an artist. So like, I'm always like, yay, support the arts. But some, right now I'm feeling a little bit of tension. So I'm curious about what your thoughts have been about some of the artistic responses to this moment, both COVID-19 and the uprisings. I do not applaud empty gestures. So while it's lovely, right? It is, it is a visual, representation of what they will, I will say, allow expression to be. Because um, you can't just paint a street without the government going, hey, you can paint a street, right? So it's nice that they will allow us to paint a street, but will they sit with us to amend policy? Will they sit with us to create legislation? Because I mean, not to sound flip, but a Black Lives Matter painting on a street is not going to stop someone with extreme prejudice and hate in their heart from harming another person. A paint is not going to stop a gun, though it looks really nice. Um, and it is very inspirational and it's great. But policy, legislation, those are disincentives for hatred to rear its ugly head in a moment when someone believes they can be a vigilante. Policies happen so that you can redirect money, okay? Because perspective of a teacher, right? We're talking about systematic racism and injustice, right? Policies that are in place funnel money in certain amounts to certain places based on tax brackets. So our black and brown people who don't make as much, whose homes aren't necessarily worth as much, their schools don't get as much. Therefore, their babies don't learn as well as people who are in places whose homes are worth more, who make more, whose babies get more resources. There is a divide, right? You can paint all the streets you want, but until you amend policy and legislation that continue to exacerbate the problem, I'm not interested in applauding you. Looks real nice. Put it up on Facebook. Great picture. <laughs> no? Yeah. Yeah. Amen for that. Yeah. I, it, it's been a strange, it's been a strange time to reflect on that for, for 
I think for all artists, because I think for on one end, we're like, yes, you're finally supporting the arts, but you look at the right. long history of the defunding of the National Endowment for the Arts and the defunding of arts programs in public schools. And so, yes, you have given, I don't know how many painters they took in Charlotte, I think something like 10 or over 10, I saw people tagging names and stuff. You have these wonderful look like painters of color who have been given this opportunity, but it's not really, um, it's not digging deep to the system, right? Really uncovering the system of the way in which public schools have to fight for a music teacher. I know you're aware about that. <laughs> um, public schools got to fight for a drama program, you know, different in certain neighborhoods. So um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a strange tension of wanting to speak truth to power while also celebrating my fellow artists because I want to support them. <laughs> yeah. And, and so you were talking a little bit about this divide. And as we begin to wrap up our conversation, I'm wondering where discipleship for you and for your community happens in the divide. Where does, what does spirituality look like in the midst of this gap between the haves and the have-nots in many ways? What does that look like? How might you think it's different from a different community, maybe a Myers Park Baptist or some other church that may have more resources or um, a little bit more affluent community? What does it look like for you in your community? Discipleship in our community? Is that the question? Yeah, particularly reflecting on in the divide, in this, in this growing divide that, that has been exposed even more so with the pandemic and with these uprisings. Mm. My personal opinion. I think that the role of the church, especially in black and brown communities, should be to bridge that gap with resources and the power of presence, okay? Our community can't know that resources exist that we have access to if they don't have access to us. So, um, you know, every church has a plethora of professionals and you know, people who are involved with other nonprofits and other resources that the community could use and have to educate themselves about ways to bridge that gap, both individually and as a community. And I think, um, I think that's where the sweet spot for churches in, in black and brown communities, you know, that's where it lies. Um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite churches in the black and brown communities, uh, Camino, the Camino Community Church. I love them because they are living. Where is that? Where? Camino. Oh, oh my goodness. Camino is off of um, North Tryon, right where that like Waffle House is. There's a small side street right where the Waffle House is. If you head down that way, they have created an entire community just for that. They've got a thrift store. They've got a community center. There's a church. There's a clinic. Resources, right? That's where they're focused on bridging the gap by providing what their community does not necessarily always have access to. Um, and that's, that's the sweet spot. And even if our churches don't have um, the financial resources to create infrastructure like that, we do have the ability to connect them with places that have infrastructure like that. That's the sweet spot. You know, you can talk about it, but provide people the opportunity and the avenue to reach it, to get to it. Yeah. That's important. That is so important. I've been thinking about resources as well and the redistributing of resources. So 
So it looks different for every community. And so a community that might have a little bit more resources than some other communities should be looking into reparative acts of justice, financial reparative acts of justice, where we are redistributing resources so that communities can have what they need, especially right now, especially right now. Yeah. And so, and so personally for you, what has your spirituality in your art, arts life, what has, what has God revealed to you in this moment? I always, when I was a chaplain at a hospital, we would always end our day asking sort of, where did you see God? Because you would see so many awful things, so many sad things in the hospital. So where, did you, where have you seen God in this moment, the past three months or in the past two weeks? How has God shown up for you? Man. Uh, so many ways, too many ways to count. Um, God has shown up for me in, you know, revealing his miraculous power for people of faith who truly believe in, you know, the power of, of his healing, like watching my church family battle COVID, conquer COVID and come out, you know, powerfully, you know, heal from this thing. So like, you know, there's that. And then to, I, I personally, I battle with depression and anxiety. I mean, I'm this happy, bubbly person, right? But I, but I, I struggle with it daily. It's a daily struggle. It's a daily decision to focus on certain things, but it's definitely been a test uh, to be secluded for two months. No, you know, contact with any other individuals for two solid months um, was trying and God revealed himself to me through that through, you know, having to refocus and having to really spend time focused on the word and focused on the work. Um, and God revealed himself to me through working administratively with my church, like to, to see how quickly my church family was able to adapt and shift and, and really be focused on continuing to provide the word of God to the people who need it. Um, it just, it, it almost made me cry. You know, that, that whole, like that whole first week, we had like five or six days to figure it out. We were like, okay, we're going to do this. We don't know what this is going to look like. Um, and to, to watch this, you know, intergenerational, cooperative, creative workspace. I saw God in the generational, like what, she, what is normally a generational divide in work, becoming this cooperative, collaborative, creative space through which we've made something quite beautiful. And I just, you know, I've really been enjoying that, watching everything grow and develop. That was beautiful. You've been using the word divide a lot. And I've just been thinking about where, how God shows up in the divide, in the, mm -hmm. God always shows up in the gap to bridge the gap, right? And um, I think that that is so beautiful. Um, and I'm looking forward to the ways in which as this continues and as we start to get back to some sort of a new normal, not the old normal, because I don't want to go back. Okay. Some things that got to go. But um, I hope that we can continue to work together so that we can be the, the hands and feet of God in the divide, right? Mm -hmm. That's my hope for us. Um, and I think that artists are those people. Right. I think that we are the people who are the hands and feet of God in the divide, always the first to call out what it is and to try to bring some hope and harmony in the world. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Me too.
Yes, we have to do it again. After this is over, we can do it in person. <laughs> Love it. Yes, um, thank you for being a part of our congregation um, in an adjacent way. Um, I always tell people, there's no such thing as having one church, right? I tell people, you have to have multiple churches and multiple affiliations. And we definitely consider you a part of our family. And we look forward to the day when you can come back in our sanctuary and grace us with your beautiful gifts. Um, And of course, have your father back as well. Looking forward to it. Yeah, good. Thank you for joining.